Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What say you, Richard Ellett Murdoch? Are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand and die? Not guilty. How shall you be tried? By God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them. Okay? And the whole point is to have this not fall in the wrong hands. This case is unique, it's unprecedented in South Carolina history. In the matter of the indictments of the defendant Alec Murdoch for the murders of his wife Maggie and his son Paul, the state of South Carolina rests. Welcome to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch Murders Money and Mystery. I'm Ann Emerson. I'm joined by our exclusive legal analyst, Charlie Condon. He is also the South Carolina's former attorney general, as well as our executive producer, Drew Tripp, and uh, Max Harrison. He's running the boards. He's back there. He's running the production. And if you have any questions, he's fielding them for us, and we'll certainly try to get to them. We're going to be on all streaming channels, right? We've got Facebook, we've got YouTube, we're on TikTok right now, so you can watch us live streaming. Yeah, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and abcnews4.com. Perfect. So tonight, uh, we need to uh, probably play a clip pretty soon, but I just wanted to see if there was anything I was missing before we did that. Um, the The state has rested its case against Alec Murdoch. Mm -hmm. We now have the opportunity to hear the defense. Um, before we go there, I just really love how Charlie explained it earlier about how, you know, we were. I was going back and forth looking at the story that we were working on at 6 p.m. And I think it's very important for everybody listening to this right now to understand what the objective is for the state and the defense. Not in, a, not in a detailed way, but just the way you explained it to me when we were talking about what I was writing in my sense. Oh, in PM. terms of burden just of proof. The and burden, burden of proof. proof. If we could just kind of clarify. Yeah, I think that's I a think good, yeah, so I important. think it's a good, actually it's a good civic lesson. I, I hope uh, not to be uh, too teachy here or pedantic, but in this country, which I think is the bulwark of our freedoms, that the government or the state cannot lock you up unless 12 jurors have a unanimous verdict uh, to um, agree on a guilty verdict. And before they even get there, though, the state of South Carolina, the government, has the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And the burden is always on the state of South Carolina. The defense has, has no obligation to testify or to put any evidence up. And so if the state doesn't meet its burden, then the jurors are obligated to find someone not guilty. Now, before we get there, and Judge Newman, under our procedure, state procedure, the defense did move. It's not the high standard. It's a uh, Rule 19 motion for a directed verdict if there wasn't competent or, or good evidence to 
prove the, the indictment, the judge has the ability to take the case away from the jury and dismiss it. I don't think anyone ever really thought that was a realistic possibility, but Attorney Griffin gave it his best shot. He argued passionately, and we'll talk about this, but uh, Prosecutor Waters argued in opposition quite well, and Judge Newman agreed with the, with the state, so we, so we move on. Well, so here is what uh, Prosecutor Creighton Waters um, gave as his, I guess, synopsis of the case, the summary of his case against mm -hmm. Alec Murdoch. Yeah, his arguments against the directed verdict, and he laid it out, I thought, quite eloquently. So bear with us. It's just a couple of minutes, but it's a, an, an amazing way for everyone to sort of wrap their heads around what the state was trying to accomplish here. Been ample evidence of motive evidence presented in this particular case. Uh, the years of embezzlement and theft and the exposure, uh, very significant exposure that the defendant was facing as June the 7th uh, approached, which includes the loss of a job, the loss of a career, the loss of his bar license, uh, the loss of years of wealth, uh, the potential uh, to lose everything in his own words. Uh, you've heard evidence about a confrontation June 7th, on, June 7th on those matters that very day, as well as the boat hearing that was up, upcoming. Uh, and, and the effects that that would have. Also heard uh, extensive evidence of the defendant's uh, financial condition uh, on that day as it moved forward. Also evidence, Your Honor, of uh, his ongoing narcotics addiction and how those particular things were relevant uh, to, um, to what was going on uh, as it related to the victims. Uh, there's been evidence, and again, as Your Honor is aware, uh, the evidence must be taken in, in the light most favorable to the state. Uh, that uh, family weapons were used to uh, murder Maggie and Paul. Well, there you go. Wow. Um, that's a lot. Uh, you know, and basically, I wanted you to just hear that because the jury did not hear that, just to be clear, that right? Correct. That was just um, the state arguing why they mustn't dismiss, why the judge mustn't dismiss this case mm -hmm. and why this must go forward. And I remember the judge said, yes, and the reason I think this needs to go forward is I feel like the state has presented not just circumstantial, but true physical evidence of this case. So um, it was just a fascinating moment for us to all hear, of course, because it was we're always looking for a good summation of what's going on in the case at, at, at any given time. Yeah, and that, that was a great summation, but equally importantly, and in a way eloquently, was the timeline, as they called it, when and we've talked about this. I don't really think it's a timeline per se. I look at it more as a distillation of the electronic evidence that the state had. I had looked at it sort of like pieces of a puzzle that were throughout the courtroom floor, so to speak. And you couldn't quite, I mean, you, you got the outline maybe, but you couldn't quite put it together. And this sled agent Rudowski, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, right. he, his demeanor and the way he presented it, I thought was just so effective. And he went through it. Really line by line, page by page, took several hours, but very, very powerful in my view. Yeah, he was a very strong witness for the state. And I think this was a, a much needed, we, again, to Anne's point, we wanted to play that soundbite of Creighton Waters mm -hmm. just because we know from just from our perspective, and we know you all at home listening, watching, have been struggling a little bit with this too, is to keep it all together and try and 
make mm-hmm. sense of everything you're hearing because we've heard some things day one, day th- three, mm-hmm. day 10, and we're now on day 20 and th- it hasn't all been tied back together and put into perspective and it's hard to keep up with. And that was why we wanted to play Creighton Waters because it was very succinct, very powerful. But on the same, the, while the jury didn't hear that, what they did hear is this Agent Rodolsky from SLED. And again, he he really got it all to make sense, uh, at least in my estimation, listening to him, everything was neatly packaged. Everything flowed sequentially. It was much easier to follow than anything that's happened so far. And it's the moment we've all been waiting for, the moment we've been demanding, when are they going to tie this all together and show us exactly, mm-hmm. exactly how this all fits, how the puzzle goes together. I, I still think from a, perspective of this being a circumstantial evidence case there are some things that we may never get answered and haven't been answered um i i can get into this you want me to get into them now sure i for me it it, this biggest leap of logic and head uh, head scratcher if you will Mm -hmm. is the lone gunman theory just because I don't think the state, and I don't think they can, I don't believe the state ever definitively put together how how Alec accomplished it. If Alec is the gunman, how he did it, how he accomplished it. And, and bear with me on my reasoning here. Two guns, he would have had to have them either stashed down there and when did he do that? Because they, I don't think that's spelled out in this timeline we got today. When he would have had the opportunity to go go down there and do that. If not stashed down there, he had him readily available somehow. And he would have had, in my estimation, you take into, the, you take into account the context. Okay, both Maggie and Paul, their initial gunshot wounds were said to be extreme close range. Uh, they were intimately close, within five feet, because they had the stippling on mm-hmm. the first gunshot wounds that they indicating right. that their bodies were within three to four feet of the end of that mm-hmm. gun barrel. So how does a lone gunman get that close to two people without one fleeing and running away from them? There's a lot of holes in there that you got to fill in to make it make sense. Okay, maybe. I think that's really interesting. Maybe one came one came running when they heard the gunshots and ran right into a a trap, or maybe it was as Creighton Waters kind of. I I think he even alluded to this in his opening statement. It was just immediate, where he had them, and out of nowhere, he he surprised them. He grabbed one gunshot, picked up the other one. But how did he accomplish that again? That because where's the gun? I'll tell you how. Okay. Here's how he did it, and I bet we hear this from Creighton Waters. Uh, Alec Murdoch trades in trust. Everyone trusted him. So he's down there with his family. It's a peaceful evening. And former prosecutor being uh, as he is, he knows that he needs to think through how to not have him as a suspect because the person who calls 911 is always a suspect. So you stash the rifles. You crouch down, or kneel, as you say. Paul would be, right? You'd have to agree that would be easy for him to accomplish without any suspicion whatsoever. It's his son in there. He uh, puts these two loads in, which is quite odd. Uh, gets steel shot to make it a bit odder. And mind you, he had these weapons stashed already. So he pulls up the shotgun and 
we went through with uh, detective, I mean, with Dr. Kinsey on how that was done, the low shot and then the second shot. Now, one would think in the abstract that, gosh, then Maggie would run away. But remember, it's, it's her beloved husband there. She's a bit far away. Right. And she, you know, boom, boom, right? He, I think he laid up brilliantly. In the how, opening statement, that's what he was mm -hmm. doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how, he said, how, pow. Happened very quickly. And then Maggie might come to investigate or is not fearful of her husband because there's no way the husband's going to kill the son, right? And so he then approaches her with a rifle and he might, she might be thinking, well, he's, he's here to, to defend me for that matter. And so she approaches and there you have it. I think that's a plausible explanation for the two-shooter theory, but I think where the state would go with this, if I were prosecuting, I wouldn't particularly worry about, I'd, I'd have that as, as a possible explanation, but I would harp on what my evidence is. And the evidence is so, that timeline or distillation of the, of the evidence thus far, maybe this, the defense can challenge it, but I don't see any way, it, and Judge Newman used the word circumstantial and direct, that, that, that this electronic evidence to me is getting to be so intense and so weaves together so much with the physical evidence and almost becoming direct to me. It's almost like you're there. But well, for and, your question, I think it's a good question. And, and you know where I can jump into is because sort of my job today was to kind of go into that timeline a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the, some of the things that I noticed that I felt like we hadn't heard before, I thought that was interesting as far as things that were kind of some of these questions, not all the questions, obviously, we still have questions about how this is all going to pan out. But one of the things was he made it very clear in this timeline that 844 was when we understand from several witnesses that they believe Alex Voice was on a, a video taken by Paul at the kennel at 844. Mm -hmm. And then very clearly he states, because we have that cell phone data, that those phones locked. Maggie and Paul's phones basically locked, went dark, however you want to say it, like they weren't answering them. Um, at 8.49. So all of a sudden, our timeline just got very tight, uh, very quick. A couple of other things that I noticed as well was um, when uh, he went to go see his mom at Alameda. Remember, we're dealing with data across the board. So that let's think at, at 9.02 to 9.06. So 8.49, those phones go dark, 9.02 to 9.06. They are able to see because Apple has, you know, we all watch our steps, see how many steps we've done for the day. All of a sudden, he takes this, this, this extraordinary amount of steps in a short period of time. And the, from my calculations, it was about three times faster than he had been traveling at any other time during the day. From 9.02 to 9.06, he gets in the car at 9.06. He goes to Almeida. We hear about this. And, it, and as he's driving, he's driving about 45 miles an hour. Well, guess whose phone was also going or traveling, from what I understand, about 45 miles an hour was Maggie's. Was that, did you get that? I, I, I thought the phone might have been locked and therefore wasn't tracking. But what I did think was very telling, and I'm not saying you aren't correct, but I remember it differently. But it, what I do remember very telling is the speed slowed up sufficient for him to throw the phone out, which okay. was much slower than any speed on that road to Almeida, then sped up after that. So, again, if he's not totally involved with these murders, he's got to be one of the most unluckiest persons in the history of humanity, right? Because here he is slowing down where the phone is found. 
Well, and it just keeps going on. And the 20 minute timeline, right at, at Almeida, that, that it just goes on. I, I can, I think, it, I think there are a hundred circumstances that, that, that convict him. I, I think I got to disagree with both of you. I think, I think you both aren't on the mark with either of those things. I don't think we ever got it that her phone was moving at that speed, unless it's it's buried in this long, long, long time timeline that Sled sent out. No, I'm I, with you on that. I don't think it did. I, I don't think okay. we got okay, I agree. I agree how fast that. her phone was going. But also, Charlie, I don't think it that it, I don't think it was that his vehicle slowed down. It was more so that it just accelerated very, very slowly. He stayed okay, at, I, I agree he with stayed that. at 40, was 45. Yeah, he and didn't get he, up to speed. He stayed yeah. in, the, in the 40 range I agree with that. for well, up to like a minute and yeah, a half yeah, after yeah. he pulled yeah, out of the driveway. Yeah, slow in terms of what he could have been doing. And then he then sped up, right? It got yes. up to like, was it 70? Mm-hmm. So it was, it'd be hard, I think, to throw a phone out at 70 and a bit easier at, at the lower speed. Right when, I mean, it was within the... You know the road better than I do. Uh, in fact, I don't think I've ever been oh, on it. But if you turn on there, about. wouldn't you be going quick, fast, very quickly versus the... You, yeah, you could. You could. It's, uh, Why wouldn't you? You'd, you'd go to speed limit at least, wouldn't you? <laughs> I think the state thinks that's probative of and, yeah. and, and, and useful for their position. Well, let, let me tell myself here. Uh, and... Uh, if there are any children listening, I don't know why there would be any children or teenagers <laughs> or anyone who might. Oh, on TikTok. No, you're right. No one's listening that's a teenager on TikTok. I, I don't. I don't uh, anyone, anyone who or might. Uh, uh, I'll play Charles we Barkley ten, here. We have for, a 10 second delay for this. <laughs> I'll play Charles Barkley for a minute and say that I'm not a role model. I do know that sometimes when I get in a vehicle and perhaps. Occasionally, it, perhaps occasionally, I first take off and I haven't quite finished what I was doing as far as sending, you know, texts or mm. checking emails or things like that. I start off very slowly. Oh, okay, got it. So you think he's texting, it, or he's got two out. phones? He's got a phone in each hand and he's getting some last minute things arranged uh, before he finally can take off and speed up. I, I don't know. That's that just me. Sense. But you would agree that twenty minute at Almeida. Doesn't help him at all. Right? No, it absolutely does not. Nor does the fact that he took a somewhat peculiar route getting into the property and going by the tree had, line instead of going to the driveway. The discrepancy in steps when he got there versus when he left, uh, and then stopping on the way out for a an extended period of time—not an extended, but about a minute or so—which right. is well, yeah. It said that he had gone past where you normally park, right? Mm -hmm. And he gone up, up toward into those the outbuildings. Wood line. Yep, up, up. into the outbuilding. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that goes to, you know, possibly that's what they were trying to open up about. Possibly that may be where things were stashed. Right. Nothing was ever searched at Almeida for three months. Yeah. Now, do you think um, I don't know if that's what the state was trying to do, but that's certainly the way it sounded to the people right. that were listening. Oh, yeah. yeah. And of course, by no means is this case over. So the question I have for right. y'all is, would, if you're defending, would you accept this timeline or distillation of information by the state, or would you have experts to challenge it? <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
they've got to, right? Or you're, you're picking. Is there your, a way to embrace it and still have a viable defense? It almost seemed listening to Jim Griffin's listening to Jim Griffin's motion for the directed verdict. It seems like there is some of it that they want to challenge, but it mm -hmm. sounded more so like he wanted to challenge the circumstantial parts of it where they haven't produced the murder weapon. Mm -hmm. They don't exactly know the time of death. They can't defend it. And their first witness was the coroner on the time of death. I'm not so sure how effective that was, but that was their first effort, right, to challenge mm -hmm. time of death. Well, that is right. But it, but also the, the uh, what I was thinking about as well was that the state said that he, you know, we have all this, this car data and you know when he get, mm -hmm. arrives back. I think they're also trying to poke holes in the alibi mm -hmm. and show times when either Alec didn't remember the way things actually went down or didn't, you know, besides just the nap that right. supposedly he took at the beginning. Well, you know, at the end, it says that, you know, in less than 20 seconds, his car stops at the kennels. And he calls 911. And my big question was, well, is that enough time Jack to Paulson. realize what happened? Yeah. Check the bodies. Mm -hmm. Call 911. Mm -hmm. Is it enough time, mm -hmm. depending on where right. he parked? Yeah. I think defense was trying to say it is. Yeah. And did I understand, mm. too, Drew, did you pick this up that they were talking about when Maggie disconnected the power from her cell phone? That timeline seemed like it wouldn't give him enough time to nap, as I recall. It was like No, it wouldn't have. Not for as long as he said he did. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, I'd have to go back and look at my notes real quick, but it looked like Maggie didn't get there until late. Yeah, um, yeah, much later than I thought she would. I, I'll once the cam once the camera's off of me in just a minute, and, and I'm not talking. I'll go back and look, and I'll come back to that on on my notes. Um, but yeah, I, I think I actually did today make a note of a few things mm -hmm. that from the state's perspective. Or, or I guess from either the state or the defense's mm -hmm. perspective, Alec Murdoch has to answer for that. He that so far we have no plausible answer for. Mm -hmm. Number one, why did he delete all his calls? Why did he delete his entire call log? What did he have to hide? Mm -hmm. uh, number two, where did those clothes go from that from that Snapchat video? Where where did where what happened to the that blue shirt? When and why did he change clothes? because it doesn't show him going up to the house until sometime after eight with Paul. And I, I mean, he could have done it then, but it, you'd think the shirt would be there. Mm -hmm. uh, and then finally, how do you, the, the big one, what, what we could call the, the big lie, I guess, or the, whatever, whatever you may want to you use as a euphemism for that. But how do you explain the video at eight forty four PM? You were there. Several people have put you there. There's video with your voice in the background. Mm -hmm. And we learned today from the timeline, yeah. it takes about five minutes to walk from those kennels up to that house. That's pretty rough, isn't it? Yeah. 844 to 849 when the phones lock, if you've walked away at as soon as Paul's video ended, if you walked away five minutes later, you would still be able to hear a 300 blackout going off. Yeah. Right. And two right. shotgun blasts. Yeah, top yeah it's a really that. tough timeline. And it, I mean, we, we were looking at some pictures of the defendant as he was listening to this timeline. Mm -hmm. It was a very uncomfortable mm -hmm. look. One more thing, I, uh, one discrepancy that uh, and we needed, because we touched on it just a second ago with the 20 seconds. Mm -hmm. and It was 14. It was 17 in was reality. 17. Okay. It was set from the time he parked until the, he actually hit send on the 911 call. And I will give credit where it's due shout out to 
Mandy Powers Norell, uh, uh, former state rep- state representative and candidate for lieutenant governor, I believe. But I've been uh, follow her on Twitter. She was raising all kind of cane on like, no, no, no. How are, how are they letting Phil Barber get away with saying it was 20 seconds? When in reality, if you look at Alex's call log, it was 17 seconds because he called 9111. Right. And that was 17 seconds from the time he parked his car to that first 911 call. Not 20 because he had to he had to end the bad call and start a new one. So it was a little bit tighter. And so that, that really calls into, even further into question his, right. the amount of time. Yeah. And, and I, I should also give a shout. I don't think he would mind you're truly saying this, but the state's chief law enforcement officer after court, uh, state chief prosecutor, I should say, uh, General Wilson, pointed the same thing out to me. Mm-hmm. I think he said 18 seconds. So the state's aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they'll it bring it up. And getting... yeah, it's, it's just getting tighter and tighter. And that's where, that's where I was getting into uh, Char- uh, Charlie and Ann. Uh, mm-hmm speaking with you a little bit right before we went on, went live, it was very artful the way uh, Phil Barber for the defense kind of restated some things and stated some things in his cross-exam of Rodolfsky today and was glossing over, very craftily glossing over and very forcefully glossing over some other things to make it sound like I don't know. I, I won't get into all the gory details of yeah. it, but he, he was... He that, can, was that can hurt you in trial work because jurors will then see what the truth is, really, in terms of the actual evidence. So it's a bit of a challenge to... Even just a two or three second difference can make a difference in credibility, but we'll see where that goes. Well, Max, did you have a question from anyone? Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts on the text message from Paul about the drugs? Oh, wow. Mm. No kidding. What a topic. Um, yes, that came out right at the end. Wow. And that was not by accident. That was absolute. I mean, nothing would be it for accident at this point. But, you know, the state has this uh, text message that comes out. And the text message is basically like Paul, Paul's uh, reaching out to his dad, Alec. And when was that? Do you remember? It was in it was May. May 6th. May 6th. May 6th. Okay. So May 6th, they find this sex message where it's like, we got to talk. Mom's found pills, bags of pills. And I need to talk to you about this. Not just some pills, bags, multiple bags of pills in a, in a computer bag. There was that, uh, the defense brought this one in, but later in May, Alex sends a text message to Maggie. I'm sorry for everything I do to you all. I love you. And then, Three days or four days before the murders, Alec to his co-conspirator in chief, Russell Lafitte, I need $600,000. My dad will sign, my dad who is dying and in very poor health, he's going to sign off on it. Wow. Did he get that money? End up getting that money? Uh, Eventually, but I think through other means. It was, that was in July when. That's what he needed. Yeah. When he was, uh, when this. Screws were really tight in on him to get that money back to Chris Wilson. But that was the end of the state's case. And I want, Charlie, I want to get your thoughts on this. They saved, they they proved their motive at the end. Paul was on him about the drugs. The little detective. The little detective was on him about the drugs. He was, he knew he needed to come up with money right away and he was desperate for it. And so he was reaching out to his co-conspirator, there's the state's theory of motive right there. What did and then uh, on top of that, they end with the two just heart tugging photos, a beautiful photo of Maggie and her sister Marion, and then just a lovely family photo of Maggie and the two boys, Buster and Paul. What do you, you think? You've said it. 
I mean, that's, that's obviously was purposeful, and it lays up a very powerful closing argument by, I'm assuming, since he's the chief prosecutor in this case, Assistant Attorney General Creighton Waters, because it's, it's all right there. We'll have to see. I am, I am, I'm here on Friday, right? And the, the defense has three full days to kind of think through where they mm-hmm. are. And I think you've said this earlier in another podcast, uh, they've got ears, right? So they would have, right. they have to know where they are. And well, how do you, how do you get something going here that can, that can at least get a juror or two, or maybe all of them, you would hope, from their perspective, going their way? And I'm thinking it's going to be a combination mm-hmm. of, of, of expert witnesses and lay witnesses pointing a path forward to how either he actually didn't do it factually or the state didn't meet its burden. Something along those lines, wouldn't you think? Yeah, it has to be. Two, two maybe the, the two shooter theory, I think, kind of helps. Up. I think that because it is, uh, you know, I gave my theory of how it could be done, but it's not, you know, and also, you know, that's, that's physically very difficult. So that, I think that's where they might go. Max, tell me, what's it, what else should we ask? Uh, also with that uh, Paul text, um, doesn't that show like a loving son, even though your dad has his faults, you're still looking out for him? To me, oh, it also points to like just the family secrets. You know, we t- mm-hmm. we I think everybody that's got a family knows mm-hmm. pretty much that there's skeletons <laughs> in the closet, right? Good. And there's things that don't want to be outed and things that are getting outed, but they just don't know how to do it yet. And to me, that was just a, such a such a universal sort mm-hmm. of text that a yeah. son who yeah. doesn't quite know how to handle it, worried about mom, off to college for the first year right. or two. How do I tell dad that he's got to clean it up right now because we're all watching now? He obviously, at some level, it sounds like they've had some level of an intervention mm-hmm. or a, a, at least a talking to, mm-hmm. even amongst themselves. Um, it was obviously coming to a head on so many different levels. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I think that, you know, one of the first things we heard from Marion Proctor, Paul Murdoch has been terribly misrepresented in the media, in the family's opinion, mm-hmm. and they see him as a loving son to this family, which makes this even more heartbreaking um, that, you know, that they really were so close to him. And you can see the pain in the Murdoch's face that are over there. Yes. John Marvin, Randy, um, Lynn, all of them are just suffering through this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there any information how widespread the family secret might have been? We don't really know that, do we? That's just closely kept? Charlie and I have the same question because I feel like on one hand, if it weren't, if it weren't more widespread that could explain why we didn't get more that's that's really kind of loaded because case character's not on trial but if if it were and it and the pills and drugs didn't come in until late in the trial but if if it was if it was really no secret then why didn't we get more of randy john marvin his sister all these other people who would know Mm -hmm. who you would think would know Mm -hmm whether or not he really had that big a drug problem. Right. Mm-hmm. 
or it's totally on the other side. They didn't call him because they really didn't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, well, Chris Wilson didn't know. I mean, he said he didn't know, right? Yeah. He never said he knew anything about drugs. Yeah, good point. He, he, and so he was his best friend, and he talked to him all the time. Yeah, he, he said that. Yeah, he sure he certainly did right, say that. Right, right. He did um, say that. I, you know, and not to be not to be so that that was that was not polite the way I, I just mm-hmm. phrased that. But you know, at a certain point. That there are a lot of people involved in this case who did know what was going on, and maybe it was really a, a scenario of a need-to-know basis or something like that, where it was really, really kept tight and hush-hush, and that it was a sm- very small group of people. But there had to be—you feel like there had to be signs and writing on the wall, if not direct knowledge, or maybe it's a case of ignoring things out of to preserve peace and comfort and yeah yeah and there's a lot at stake you don't want to you you might think you see something out of the ordinary or amiss but you don't call it out because you you want to avoid conflict right and who knows there's so much to psychoanalyze there i know well we need a we need a behavioral therapist on board now as well if anyone knows one out there but i wanted to also uh do a shout out to we have another podcast that we're running um at the same time as this one under the same franchise under unsolved south carolina and if you've been checking out our podcast hopefully you're checking out this one too this weekend would be a great opportunity to catch up not only on the murdochs uh, but we also have Finding Brittany Drexel. Do we have a little something to play for folks? Yeah, we got that on right now. And while, while you're looking at this, this is what you're looking for on all the same podcast platforms that you were streaming us on, or if you're uh, looking for us on social media, Unsolved SCPOD. But it is on a separate feed uh, for as far as a podcast feed. We're not. It's not the same feed here as uh, that you're getting this. You're getting the Murdoch stuff on. But if you go back in our archives, you'll see. A, a teaser episode that we did here on the Murdoch podcast feed and telling you a little bit about it. It's a documentary style produced podcast uh, where we... By the same team, Yeah, it, it, it's It's not like what we're doing right now. It's, it's exactly how this podcast started over a year and a half ago where we were producing actual documentary style episodes that, that you might really enjoy. We hope you'll go take a look at it. It's a, it's a passion project for Ann and I We've put a ton of work into it, along with Max, Sam Griswold, uh, Dan Mitchner, Dan so many uh, other people who've had a role in covering the Brittany Drexel case over the last year. So it, we'll have a lot of time. You've got a lot of time to catch up on a lot of news uh, this weekend. So uh, we've got Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch Murders, Muddy and Mystery, also under the same franchise, Unsolved South Carolina, Finding Brittany Drexel. Hope you get a chance to check out all these podcasts. Until next week, thank you so much. Oh, I hope everybody enjoys their President's Day. We will be back on Tuesday. Monday, court is dark. Um, they're gonna, Defense is going to kick it off once again um on tuesday we'll see you then thank you so much
Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with Two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours. Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 